Hey everybody, thanks for tuning in to the Marriage is Tougher Than Woodpecker Lips podcast. This is Brian. And I'm Paul. We'd like to welcome you to a community meant for the men of the world to share our thoughts and perspectives on marriage. We can learn from each other's experiences and help each other be better husbands. Now, let's get right into the show. Welcome back to the podcast. On today's episode, we have another true best friend with us. His name is John Kohansky, and he's going to be talking to us about surviving marriage through a pandemic. We've got all the usual questions for him, but we are also going to dive down some rabbit holes with him and let him tell his story and really just give his perception and experience through this pandemic, through all the stuff he went through. Yeah, with no further ado, I guess. Uh, John, welcome. What's up? What's up, guys? Good to see y'all. Good to see you as well. Hey, John. Early in the morning. Good to see the boys. <laughs> the there boys. Yeah. Um, so let's get right into these questions. I, I'm excited to get this started. So first question, who is John Kohansky? It was me. I'm a complicated human being. I'm a very emotional man, you know? You know, I like, like to try and keep myself busy, uh, especially with everything going on in the pandemic. Um, wife works from home and she likes to be, uh, in a quiet situation. I like to be out of the house when she's working cause I can be a distraction sometimes. <laughs> we all know that. Um, what else would you like to know? Where do you work? I actually just got hired at Mount Airy. So I'm going to be their very first and only dedicated poker dealer at Mount Airy. Which is pretty cool. The drive is, is a little bit longer than I'm used to, but got to pay the bills, mm-hmm. right? So we're, we took the job auto. Hopefully we'll be starting within the next two weeks. Nice. Cool. Slinging them cars. Um, <laughs> so Mount Airy, everyone, that's not from where they are, is a local casino. If you didn't get the context clues of him being a dealer. Um but uh, how so john how long have you been married we have been married since june 22nd 2017 so it's going on five years it'll be five years in 2022 which is kind of crazy because i thought for sure she would have smacked me around by now And so, um, how long did you date before you proposed? Um, we were, we've been together for around seven to eight years. We lived together for about two years prior to us getting engaged. Um, it's kind of helping out with my grandmother, you know, with her having the stroke and living alone. So I was living there and kind of doing the back and forth thing, um, so yeah, about two, two, three years we dated before the thought of marriage popped into my head. Mm-hmm. Didn't think it would. I thought I would have been the last of all of us to do that or be the single man for the rest of my life, honestly, because <laughs> that's how most people thought of me as going to be the consummate bachelor. What's the best thing about being married? For me, honestly, it's like mental support, being a guy that came from the mental health field, you know, and being an emotional guy and just having that emotional support is huge for me. 
Honestly, that's probably the biggest thing for me is just her having my back. Regardless of what I'm going through, whether I'm happy, sad, angry, she's always there. Yeah, it's good to have someone in your corner for sure. Um, what's your favorite characteristic of your wife? Um, that she's the complete opposite of me. Because I am loud and in your face and very, 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 very loud. I'm loud. And she's very, very passive and quiet and kind of just wallflowerish and will sit in the back and kind of just take everything in. So I think that's kind of why we mesh because I'm we're so vastly different in personalities. Cause I'll be honest with you, I wouldn't marry myself. <laughs> <laughs> I can be on, I'm, I'm gonna be transparent. I I wouldn't marry myself. So I mean, the fact that I was able to find someone that's willing to put up with me, that's true love right there. Mm. <laughs> that's funny. It's true. <laughs> this is real life. That's true in my world. Um. So over these last, I guess it was like four and a half years. What are the some of the challenges or the biggest challenge that you faced? You know, in your marriage. Uh, believe it or not, the biggest challenge was once I lost my job at my first casino. So over these, I guess it's four and a half years or so, what is something that challenged you during your, during your marriage? Um, it was probably the financial, the big, big thing was financials. Um, being that I worked and got paid very well for what I was doing and, we were only being told, oh, you'll be back in two weeks, three weeks, maybe a month. And then next thing you know, 18 months later, I'm still not back. So financially was probably the biggest strain with us because the only income we really had coming in was hers from her working from home because she works for a company that she can work remotely for. Mm -hmm. So that was probably the cause of most debates. I don't want to say arguments because I don't like to say arguments, sure. debates within the household of what to do finances. And I like to piggyback off of what Brian said in a past podcast about being married, but spending singly. Cause that was me during all that time. I was not working. I was out leaving the house so she could work and it's quiet. So the dogs are asleep. Yet I'm out spending money and doing whatever it is that I'm used to doing, not thinking about, the ramifications of our marriage and our finances, even though we have separate accounts and, you know, my money's my money, her money's her money. She can spend her money however she wants. I'm never going to complain if she orders a purse or spends her money on anything. But, you know, it got to the point where she got on me like, hey, you're really not working. Can you kind of chill on the spending a little bit? Mm. And, you know, yeah, 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 yeah. But that definitely the finances was probably the biggest. So you you lost your job as a direct result of the, the pandemic. Yeah. Because, you know, casinos is a place where lots of people would be frequented. And, yeah. of course, we're not able to, to go to those kinds of places during that. It was an 18-month period or so? Yeah. Okay. Did they just, the casinos just started to open back up again? It opened back up and they didn't bring back everybody, which that, that was kind of kind of defeating and she knew it because she could see it on my face and because I love I love the industry and for to put in 12 years especially with a spotless work record being in management and 
it was a, a big reality check when they didn't bring me back and uh panic did kind of start to set in a little bit mm-hmm. with that even though you know i had un- some unemployment coming in it wasn't nearly the finances sure. i was still doing the same spending habits as if i was working a full 40 50 hour work week at the casino as opposed to you know collecting a little bit of unemployment so that's where that financial end came into it and being st- the biggest stressor most likely. Yeah. I'm, I'm sure we'll dig down a little bit deeper into that in, in a little bit. And then uh, one more question for you. What was your example of marriage? My example of marriage was probably, honestly, I would say my grandparents on my mom's side. Um, they were married young while my grandfather was still in the military. Um, they built their house from the ground up. He, he built his business from the ground up. My grandmother supported him all the way. He did everything for the family. So that, that was probably where I got most of my inspiration or thoughts of marriage based on my grandparents' marriage. Um, obviously my parents, you know, my mom being divorced and being remarried when I was 12, 13, um, that had definitely had a direct impact because, you know, you, you see it and then you're like, wow, that kind of failed, you know, what was going on. And at 12, 13, do, you, do I really fully understand what's going on? Mm-hmm. You know, most of the time out of your parents' mouth, like you hear on TV, it's not your fault. It's not your fault. Mm-hmm. And, and you start getting those ideas in your head. Well, maybe it was. What did I do? What could, have I, what could I have done differently to affect this situation? And obviously at 39 now, knowing there probably wasn't much I could have said or done in that situation because it was a fairly toxic situation Um, because my biological father liked to heavily drink and it brought a lot of chaos to the house. So that was definitely one of the reasons I was like, man, I'm just, I'm just going to be the consummate bachelor for the rest of my life because this is this is not a good, not a good example of how a husband should treat his wife or kids and that type of environment. Cause it's such a toxic, it was such a toxic environment. So that was both spectrums, you know, really, really good marriage with my grandparents. And then a faulty marriage with my mom and my biological father. And then when my mom got remarried to big John, I always call him big John cause I'm Johnny. Um, it was like a complete 180 and everything was fantastic. He treated my mom like, like a queen. So yeah, that's probably where I got most of my inspiration from was those, those three relationships plus you guys. Cause you know, you guys are great with relationships. I wasn't so good as a young guy with, with relationships, you know? So that's probably where I got most of that. Yeah, and we appreciate inspiration appreciate you sharing that for sure thank you yeah man. and as far as me being good in a relationship i'm i'm a work in progress it, it takes practice and diligence and patience and hard work and patience and all the things and uh willingness to be wrong uh, yeah lots of things <laughs> see that's my biggest that's my biggest challenge is is patience and willingness to be wrong because i think my fatal flaw is pride and ego mm. 
probably yeah, I'd probably have and to second that. Yeah, no, yeah, I figured you would. <laughs> Brian will probably third that. Uh-huh. But yeah, that that was that's definitely ch- I still a challenge today because I'm I'm still a, a prideful guy, still have an ego, you know. I've I've tamed it down a little bit. Yeah, const- constant work in progress. So step. yeah, constant work in progress. Exactly. <laughs> Great words. So, anybody have a uh, follow-up question they want to dive into? Well, well, you mentioned pride and ego, you know. So, do you think pride and ego go well in a in a marriage relationship? What's your thoughts on that? Uh, to an extent, I think as long as your ego and pride is, if you can realize it and look within and realize those egotistical or prideful things that you're doing that may seem from my wife's point of view as spiteful or just being a jerk. Um, I've, I've learned to tone it back and she knows when I'm joking about stuff and stuff like that, but I get called out on it every once in a while. I mean, it's, it's, it's always a challenge with me because I am, such a big personality. Like I'm, I'm loud. I'm in your face. I'm, it's just me. Mm-hmm. And it takes, it's probably taken her a lot longer to get used to that. <laughs> sure. More than the pride and the ego. I could put the ego in check. I, I I've been, that's why I got these guys. You guys, <laughs> you know, set me back to balance zero, not up here where I'm at a million <laughs> with ego. Well, I guess she she knew that about you when you when when you guys got married and when you you know when you during your engagement. I guess she she knew that that was just something that you you kind of had and the loudness and she yeah. accepted it and you know I guess loves you through it. I think the charm got her through it. <laughs> we all have a little bit of that, <laughs> thankfully. Um, so, you mentioned earlier that you guys have your uh, financials separated. What led you to that decision or was that something that you had a conversation about? Um, at one point we were contemplating having joint accounts and then I just spent too much money. Mm. That's what it was. It just pretty much we sat down and had the conversation like, you know, we're married. We, in the traditional sense, should have, you know, one bank account, one checking account, one one, one checking account, one savings account, you know, stuff like that. And I just, I just spend too much money. And she's like, you know what? Keep your account. I'm going to keep mine, but I'm going to watch yours. So she does. I notice she's on her computer. She's checking that, that account all the time. So I don't, I, I really don't think we will ever have a joint account. I think it's just because of, my extracurricular habits with golf and liking to play poker and doing stuff like that, that she sees, you know, why did you withdraw $300? Why did you do this? Why did you do that? And I'm like, I went and played cards or I went and played golf. What was this? What was... So it's not a secret what I spend my money on. So it's not like it's hidden offshore somewhere where she can't see it or can't find it. So she, she knows exactly what I spend my money on. So it's 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 easier for us when it comes to our finances, I guess. Okay. To have joint accounts or separate accounts, I should say. So I'm I'm curious 
because you know me and I've went through something similar in my relationship, right? Um, what I've found though is that in order for us to prepare and plan for the future, it was a lot easier for us to put our, our money together, right? Um, so I guess my question is with you guys trying to plan for your future, I know you said you were uh, you know, recently shopping for a house. Um, yeah. I don't know if that's still on the table or not, but how is it that you guys are best able to plan together when you know your your finances are separate and then you know you self-admittedly spend too much um well the wife takes all the bills and the bills come in and uh obviously i see them i read them over i see how much each and every bill is light bill water bill all that fun stuff um but she has all of that stuff directly connected to her financial end so when we get bills in she'll be like hey electric bill is this I need this amount of money. So she gets it. Okay. Pretty much. Don't argue. <laughs> cool. Cool. That's a lot. Oh, you got <laughs> I do, but I don't want to sidetrack <laughs> off the topic. So, um, no, but you kind of didn't answer his question. Like, how do you guys plan for the future? You asked, you you answered, how do you plan for the now? She's the planner. She plans all the financials. I, 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 I'm always, and I hate to say, I hate to say, it, but I fly by the seat of my pants all the time with everything, finances, everything. She's more of the planner. So I feel like she does most of the planning when it comes to things going forward. Um, she's just better at it than I am. And I leave her to it. That's right. her thing. That's like with me with cards and it calms me down. It's like her doing like the finances, like kind of calms her down so she could see where we're at mm -hmm. in terms of our finances. And I feel like that definitely brings her down. But do you feel like, do you feel like lot. that could be, because her personality is real chill. So do you feel like she could yeah. be stressful, but not talk to you about it because of how, like, I don't know. Do you see that? Cause she likes to plan and she likes to have everything in order, but you're kind of like not in order in that space. Um, so she can, she knows she can only plan kind of for so much and maybe she knows you well enough. She right. can have contingencies per se, but at the same time, when you think about future, you know, obviously you just walked through something that no one knew was coming. So um, you could right. see how your habits and kind of inconsistencies in that space would bleed to just kind of anxiety and anxiousness. I mean, the, the biggest thing too is when the pandemic first hit and I lost my job, all monies that I had come in from unemployment as little as it was, I put everything in the bank, everything in the bank. Cause I, I knew I loved to go out and spend money whether it's clothes, golf, whatever. I knew in the back of my mind that if I didn't take this opportunity to put money away, like she said, then I'd be flat broke. I'd be spending money left and right. So she kind of kept me on that path of being able to put money away, 
my credit score was in the dumps because I loved to spend money. And within two years, three years, she was able to bring my credit score up, help me get my credit score up, put a ton of money away for a rainy day in case I couldn't find another job. So I am very thankful for that, mm -hmm. that she was able to reel me in a little bit because, you know, once I get out there, it's tough to bring me back sometimes, especially with everything going on. And I would, uh, I'd have some uh, mental breakdowns, you know, there were some parental interventions within all of that, even with finances and stuff like that. So she's, she's kept me pretty centered. I mean, I've calmed down the spending a lot now, even though now I got a job, it's kind of weird now that I'm curbing it now as I'm getting a job when I didn't have a job and I was just, just throwing money wherever, but she's kept me fairly grounded and was able to help me save a ton of money that, I may not on my own or with the help of anyone else been able to do. It's awesome. What would you say was your greatest lesson uh, coming through the pandemic? Obviously we're still in it, but right. you know, what, what was your greatest lesson learned? Patience, patience, having patience <clears throat> for everything that I was going through with, Cause the biggest thing with the pandemic was trying to find a job. That was, that was the biggest thing for me was trying to find a job. Cause as a, as a man, I feel like I should be head of household. I should be the breadwinner. I should be doing everything I can financially for my wife. And that was probably the most frustrating thing. Just thinking, Hey, two weeks, I'll be back to work three weeks, four weeks, a couple months go by. And now you're starting to really, really freak out. So I think that was probably it. Okay, so you brought up a interesting point there. Um, now we're going to have a lot of different views on this, but you said it was important for you to be the head of household financially. Um, That's my ego. I understand. <laughs> I definitely understand that. First and foremost, does that mean you wanted to be the top earner in the household? I mean, I was prior to the pandemic mm -hmm. anyway. Um, but it kind of played into the job search because obviously with everything that I had going on with my previous employer and bringing in the money that I did, I was on a constant, constant search for that job that's going to still bring in that kind of money for my household. Right. Even though we don't as a couple, we really don't spend that much. We don't spend that much money, but again, that that's where like the pride and ego play into my personality. Like I felt like I needed to find something that was at least comparable to what I was doing because that's just how I felt. Like I needed to be the one to be bringing in the most money and be that head of household. Yeah. So, I, the point I'm getting to is where does it cross in your mind where you want to be that security blanket for your wife, but then like you're, you're also the, the spender, right? So I think in my experience, that's where I had to come to, you know, a, a reckoning where, yeah, I'm earning 
more money than her and, and I feel like things are stable, but she felt like she was on quicksand because how much money, I, I don't care how much money I'm bringing in. I was sending, sending more money more. out. Right. Um, so I had to come through to the realization that it was less about the amount of money that I was earning and more about how I made my wife feel through my actions as far as making her feel like I was able to control myself. So has that ever like come up or is, uh, is that something that you're working on? It's, it's something, it's a work in progress. It's definitely come up in, in conversations because with her more or less being in charge of the finances, she sees everything that, that I'm spending. So it comes up a lot and yeah, it's definitely a work in progress. I'm, I'm getting better at it day by day, but it's still, uh, it's still tough because I still wander around while she's at work. If I'm not working and especially now coming into the winter, I think when fall winter will be a little easier. And in that regards, because I'm not going to be traveling as much in terms of going out and spending money, it's going to be more work oriented. So I think that I think coming, I think coming into the winter into a new job, fall winter into a new job will aid in that process. Big time. Big time. So I, I think that one of the greatest things in marriages is that you you get the ability to have someone who, if they have a strength, you know, you could lean on them to be that strength. And obviously your wife is really good at the financial part of it. Mm, very. So, but is she doing it, focusing on it, fully a hundred percent and then John's focusing on it like zero percent or, you know, and, and if, even if that's not the percentage, would she appreciate it if you were to be a little bit more connected or have a little bit more input or have a little bit more of a, like a lead role in the overall thought process of how money is, is coming into the house? Um, she she would probably want me to be a little more involved um in terms of the bills and paying the bills and stuff and actually sitting down and looking at it and seeing what is what um that's also a work in progress sure. because you know over the last 7 8 years that we've been together it's just been her thing to take the bills hey i need this much money for the for the bill this is what the bills are and I would give her whatever she needed, mm -hmm. whether it was, you know, a dollar or a thousand dollars, whatever it was, I would just give it to her. I mean, I personally think I should be more active in it. Um, like really sitting down and actually putting down our finances on paper. Um, so that right there is still kind of a work in progress sure. for me. Um, but sometimes you will sit down and she'll, she'll show me. And it'll click, like it'll it'll click right in my head. But it's definitely a work in progress with that too. Do you think if you set aside more time for her to sit down and show you that you'd be you'd it would click in your mind when you're about to spend? You'd be like, oh, like we just sat down and this is what is going on. Or do you think that wouldn't have an effect? Um. I think what's going on right now in the world is probably 
changed that within our marriage. Like if I was working, she would just pay the bills and it, Oh, the electric bill was this. And I'd be, okay. I, I don't, it's hard to say. Um, I think I've been so focused on everything else around me with the pandemic and just trying to find a job that she just kind of took that lead role with the finances because she was working and I kind of took a back seat to it because I had so much other, I just trying to find a job alone was stressful. The ment the mental health aspect of it was I've been through every range of emotion in the last 18 months every day it's so she's more or less kind of realized that I was kind of struggling through that. So she kind of took the lead role in that in terms of like the finances. So she knew that I was trying to get my job situation straight. So she kind of, she understood. She kind of just let me be, didn't, didn't get in my face about bills or anything like that. If she needed something, she approached me as nicely and kindly as possible. Cause you know, there are times like, why are you spending this much? Or we need this for this. You know, everybody has that little spat about finances. I'm sure all of y'all have had some debates about finances within y'all's marriages as well. Mm -hmm. Um, but yeah, she kind of just let me focus on, getting back to as normal a life as possible. Cause I never, I didn't plan past being out of work more than three months, sure. to be honest. I mean, the longest I've ever gone without work in my entire life is two weeks and I've got almost two years. Mm -hmm. So she kind of let me take the back seat role on that one. So I could focus on finding a job that I like and a job that, is worth that it was worth doing that I felt I was worthy of having that job and they were worthy of having me as an employee. So yeah, so I let I let her take a take the the role in that in terms of our marriage. So net net, you don't think that it would be helpful if you spent more time like if she say like said Oh, I think it would be helpful if I spent more time. I think because of now that I have a job and it's more stability for me within our marriage because I have found a job and it's been such a relief and anxiety relief um, that now I can step up and actually take a more active role within that, the finances of our marriage, because now I'm going to have a steady paycheck coming in. So she let me have my time, my, my mental breakdowns and all that fun stuff. And now we're coming back to, reality away from we're still in the pandemic, but away from I lost my job during the pandemic. I can't find anything. So now I'm finally taking that more of an active role in it because of such an anxiety relief of finding a job. Now being someone who has, you know, a degree in mental health and all that, can you um, just kind of walk us through how it, like your transitions through the pandemic um like you know kind of how you felt like as it went on or like any any kind of um just internal things that went went on during that time or during this time i guess um when i first got 
furloughed, laid off from from work. I was okay mentally. I was like, all right, we'll, we'll be we'll be back soon. This it's just the flu. It'll be it'll be over in a few weeks, maybe maybe a month, you know. And then you know, as time went on, and I still wasn't back to work, you know, I felt myself becoming so much more anxious, so much more quick to snap on people. And the longer and longer it went on without finding employment, it got worse. It got really worse. Like there were points where I'd just be like, you know, I'm leaving the house and I'm just going to drive my car off the next bridge. Like it, it, it got, it got bad to the point, like I said, parental intervention. I think Brian and I had a conversation on the phone over about that. And, um, it, it, it definitely, definitely, I would say definitely sent me into a semi-depressive state, not knowing my immediate future in terms of employment. Like I wasn't worried about my marriage because she was there for me and supporting me, but it was more myself that I was worried about because of how crazy everything was. It was, you know, my brain was scrambled eggs at one point. That's how I felt. You know, like I said, I'd wake up and be happy. And the minute someone would say something to me or look at me sideways, I'm snapping on someone or I'm yelling at my wife for no reason over putting the toilet paper on wrong, you know, stuff like that. You know, I was just so quick to, to pull the trigger on and be angry at someone over a situation they had nothing to do with, you know? So it, it, it definitely sent me into a downward spiral. Um, but obviously after having parental interventions, sit, sitting down and talking with my wife, talking with Brian, talking with yourself, um, kind of got me more spiraling upwards towards being happy and in a good place. So now place. would you say you had kind of cycles during that time frame where like, and then you oh, talk absolutely. to someone, you'd be good and then you'd kind of be good for a little bit and then kind of cycle through. Oh yeah, absolutely. It was like a, almost like a couple, I'd be good for a couple of weeks. And then, you know, I would just, it, it, the big thing was, is when I was filling out job applications and it, it's, it's all going to come back to the job because finances with marriage during the pandemic, um, filling out job application after job application. I filled out 145 job applications in the month of September alone. And if that's not despairing enough, you know, I don't know what else is. And every day I'd wake up happy, fill out a couple applications, but then I'd check my email and I'd get told I'm overqualified for this. I can't do this. I can't do that. I can't do this. And that would send me right back down into that depressive, anxious ready to snap state almost weekly. It was just very, very cyclical. Honestly, I'd start out happy and then right back to the anxious, angry troll. That's how I, that's how I really felt you know, just, just an angry, angry person. And, and that's normally not me. And it, uh, Get it, like you said, getting the job kind of has has alleviated that a lot. I've I felt like I've tossed, I said to Brian, Zach off my back, my youngest brother, who's huge. <laughs> if it really did, and it's 
completely changed my mood because I was sitting um, at an establishment that I go to frequently where I, I've met some new people and some new friends. And one of them is my chiropractor. And he's very into meditation and Buddhism and yoga and really centering yourself. And he could tell that I was just like foul, like just in a foul mood this one day. And he's outside on the phone and I get out of my car, have a water bottle in my hand and I slam it on the ground and it explodes everywhere. And the owner, the, the person opening the establishment was like, yo, what's going on outside? I'm like, don't worry. I'll pick up, I'll pick up everything that, that broke apart. And a friend, another friend of ours came in and he's like, Hey, can you teach me how to play cards? And I'm like, okay. Even though I was like, just miserable, miserable as all heck. And as soon as I started doing that, my friend Dave, who's the, who's my chiropractor is like, you just had this like sense of calm just come straight over you. And you were so focused. Like, why aren't you focusing your energy on that? Trying to find another job in that or opening up your own business, like a poker school or something like that to teach people how to play cards properly. And he's like, you literally went from like ready to jump off the golden gate to like, just chill. Cause you were just in your own zone. You're like, just that calm. And I felt it too. As soon as he said it, I was like, I just felt this like calming sense over my entire body. Just showing an old guy how to play poker. And just, it's weird how those like little tiny things can trigger so much in your head. I remember um, sitting with you through this a little while. Um, and for a large amount of time through the pandemic, I didn't necessarily know what you were going through, right? Um, but I saw you, I think, at your worst in, yeah. that, in that state. And it took a little reflection on my part, but it looked so similar to the, the stress and anxiety and the feeling of loss that I went through when I lost my mom. And I think I, I shared that with you. Mm -hmm. um, and so as men, a lot of us men anyway, I think a lot of our identity is wrapped up in the work that we do. Right. Right. And I think I identified that with you. So I guess two things, one, which you basically just admitted to, you know, was that an issue for you? And then secondly, how important to you is it to have a secondary source of, um, community as in your friends to talk to and like talk through the the issues that you're going through. It's funny. Cause right before you said that, that's exactly what popped into my head. Um, I think it's huge. And my wife was like, you have such a great network of friends. You're like your best friends. Like you can call them any time of the day. And sorry. <laughs> it's all good. Yeah. All good. <laughs> It's super important because my wife really doesn't have that. Like she is like her one best friend that lives two hours away. Yeah. And I've got you guys like right down the street. And Paul, I know I can call you anytime. I, I think, I think I talked to your dad once while yep. I was going through this too. And, uh, it's, 
absolutely, I think it's absolutely, it was essential for me to have that secondary support because who knew, who knows where I'd be right now. I could be six feet under without that secondary support. So yeah, huge, absolutely huge having you guys. And I appreciate it. Yeah, man. Well, you are one of our best friends and you know we have love for you. And you know, as, uh, as much as I can be, I'll always be there for you in, in any situation. You know that. Even when you were at school uh, down in North Carolina, <laughs> I remember you calling me like, yo. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> yep, yep. But, uh, that's and I, cool. I really do appreciate it. And my, my wife always says, she's like, I don't know how you've been, how you've kept like your best friends and everybody around for like, because we've been friends for geez, decades at this point, you know, even us, we've known each other forever too. And just to have the, the group of friends that I do is, is huge because like I said, she doesn't have that. And like when she sees that, like it almost relie relieves her a little bit because she knows that I have that you know, secondary, tertiary, quaternary person that I can go talk to. Mm -hmm. And they, they understand because they, they've just known me forever, you know? So I, th I think that has been such a huge thing within my marriage is having that other support. That's not the parentals, you know, not just her, but all y'all. So I think, I think that was huge, monumental, honestly, yeah. within our marriage. And I, I know uh, another release for you is golf. Love golf. So just as a, a fun fact, how many golf balls did you hit through the pandemic? Oh, boy. Um, we're probably going to go into like the tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of <laughs> golf balls. Because I would go and hit balls for like two, three hours at a time and just swing the club till I couldn't swing it. Once I started seeing stuff going all wackadoodle left. I'm like, all right, we're done. We got to go home and we gotta go home and rest. But almost every day I would go literally almost every day. I'd go to the gym. I'd go hang out with my friends, talk to my, my chiropractor. Who's he's like my Zen guy keeps me kind of keeps me a little level headed at times like you guys do. And then I go hit golf balls for like two hours and I just had would picture everything that was frustrating me. I'd see a dollar sign on that ball or my former boss's face on that ball and just keep on, keep on hitting. It, it was huge. It was, it was definitely, that's a, that's a very good anxiety relief for me, especially from being a former baseball player. Uh, just to have that physical release, whether it's the gym or hitting golf balls, huge, absolutely huge. Now that Brian kind of mentioned the grief aspect, it it uh, reminded me of a couple of mental health professionals that I had listened to during the pandemic and saying that a lot of us didn't see it as grief, but we were really grieving the loss of so much as the pandemic stopped, started, whether it be right. just our normal pattern of life, whether it be um, our kids no longer being at school, whether it be our job, just this having to wear masks, like all the things that we had to do, we are, are grieving our past life. Um, now that he kind of called, I know he talked to you about that too, but did you ever see it that way and kind of 
Because I think once I understood that we were grieving, I talked to people a little different and I understood kind of like it clicked like, yes, like we're this is loss and we don't really do well as a society with loss. And that's why everyone's just freaking out. Um, do you do you see that as a kind of shift in perspective um, as you were going through that or now reflecting back? Um. It's tough to say because I, I didn't really see it as like grief after losing my job because it really, really didn't hit me until, you know, I had no money coming in. So then it started to really feel more anger than any, I was more angry than, than grief. I don't, I don't think I ever like felt grief throughout the pandemic. It was just anger and just questioning why, why are, why are these things happening? Why are, why is all this going on? Why can't we get this figured out? Why can't I find a job? Why? It was more me asking why than me grieving over the loss of a job or loss of finances and stuff like that. Honestly, I don't think I ever really reached that stage of grief. Cause I just went to straight like anger. I was just angry more than grief. That, just to put some clarity to it, first of all, um, or context really, you thought that 100% you were going back to work yes. for your old employer. And, and that's where a lot of that anger was coming yes, from. Yes, 100%. Right. Um, Especially being told, you know, once stuff reopens full time, mm -hmm. you'll be the first I'll get. When you hear from your boss, you're going to be the first person I call back. And then month after month after month after month frustration builds and builds and builds and it just turns into anger and it didn't it, it never really registered in my in my mind as grief to be honest with you it was just anger and questioning why yeah, and i think for me through my experience with that that loss and grief um I think anger is a part of it for me and I, I may have processed it differently because, you know, when you lose someone, it's understood that yeah you're supposed to grieve. Right. And even if anger is a part of it, you know, you, I guess you understand that that's part of the process. Right. Yeah. Um, so I, I wonder if, would you at this point reflecting back still, or now call it grief, even though like your primary emotion was anger, would you say that was, that was basically a large part of like that, that feeling of loss and not being able to get back what you had? Um, honestly, in a way, maybe a little bit. Um, I, I, I it's hard from, for my brain, at least my mind to compare like grief going through like the pandemic and finances and all that, as opposed to the loss of a human life. Mm -hmm. um, I kind of am able to separate the two. I mean, obviously when I lost my grandfather, I grieved. Right. Um, but with employment and finance, I, I, I feel like I can separate the two. Okay. And like the grieving is to me is more for, 
loss of human life or loss of a pet or loss of a child, you know, stuff like that. Whereas loss of a job to me, I'm not going to, I'm not going to grieve over a loss of a job. I'll, I'll find another one. You can't yeah. find another grandfather. You <laughs> can't find another mother. You can't find another father. You know what I mean? Mm. Like once they're gone, they're gone. A job is a job. It's gone. I'll find another one. Yeah. I think that's, that's, that's kind of gotcha. how my brain and goes. And that's kind of how most people's brain goes. So I, I get that for sure. Um, but if you, if you look at what grief is not trying to sway your opinion or how it clicked for me when I was listening to what, um, people were saying was grief is just the emotions that come after the loss of something we just, and generally in America, we associate with loss of life, but it's really all the emotions of losing anything. It's just, where do we put our, uh, where is that in our place of importance? Right, we put human life, and then pet life, and then other other Obviously, stuff like yeah. that. But it really is all the emotions and processing through those emotions of any loss. It's just it's just not something that we generally see, you know, as Americans as um, important. If it's not human, you know what I mean. If it's not loss of life, right. but that's yeah. what made it click for me. Was like, you know what, you're right. Like, think about when anything, something changes. You kind of go, th- you have to cope with it. And that coping is technically yeah. grief. We just don't assign that name to it. We assign whatever other, right. the other feelings are. Um, but if you sum all those feelings together, they generally kind of mirror the loss of what we think is grief, which is a person. So I understand what you're saying for sure, because most people have already compartmentalized grief is only for loss of someone or something that we deem important not realizing how important our job or whatever or our life situation that changed is very important. We just don't put that in that space. So we just go to, okay, I was angry. I was sad. Um, I was questioning everything. But when I've lost people, I've gone through those same things. I'm like mad that I don't get, I didn't spend as much time with them. You know, I'm questioning why did they have to go now? What could I have done different? And then I'm sad because they're no longer here. So if you just put your job yeah. instead of your grandpa it's kind of the same thing not saying at the same right importance level but at some level there's similarities and that's basically how it clicked right. in my head just so i can you know not i'm not trying to compare a person that we deem very high in our life to a job but just saying the process is similar i completely agree. I, I agree with you on that um, I, I just, I, I'm very, I'm a very compartmentalized person. So I, I, I try not to bring those things together. Like I said, that's, it's hard to change my, my way of thinking about grief in that terms, because I came from, my grandfather was stone cold. Like he never showed any emotion whatsoever. Like whether he lost his, his mom anything he never showed emotion. So I, I was always taught to just, you know, it was that military way. Cause my grandfather was a Marine for 32 years. So it was, you, we were, I wasn't really taught to like show emotion and grief and stuff like that. It was more because I had to be strong for my family. So like, I mean, for an example, um, when I was, I'm going to say grade school. I remember getting off the bus 
bus number 16 from Dan Flood Elementary School. <laughs> and I lived with my grandmother and grandfather at the time. And my mom came and picked us up from the bus stop. And she's, she's like, somebody passed away. Like, was it Grandma Leo? Because she was like 95 years old. And she's like, no, it was your Uncle Danny, which was my cousin Raylene's father. She wasn't born at the time. My Aunt Michelle was pregnant with Raylene when he passed away. And it just so happened that I believe, I believe I'm almost positive. Um, it was on my birthday. And then I was asked by his family to play taps at the funeral at like 12 years old and having to like keep that grief and emotion in check while I do this is probably where it first started for me being able to compartmentalize grief as opposed to everything else, anger and anxiety and depression. And I can compartmentalize all those things. And I know when I'm doing it and I know when I'm feeling it, but I think that's where it first started was, was that like playing taps, doing a military funeral, hearing people in the background crying and sobbing while I'm doing this, trying not to do it myself at 12 years old is that's tough for a 12 year old kid to do, especially on your birthday. So that's that, that was probably where, where that mindset came from, to be honest, was that situation. So it's more of a, it sounds like a, a self-taught mm -hmm. coping mechanism. Yeah. And just for the context, uh, taps, if you're not familiar, is like kind of a drum uh, pattern or trumpet, trumpet pattern. Sorry, a trumpet. You'll know it when you hear it uh, because you generally hear it with men. That's yeah. the dun, 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 right? Um, that you generally hear at a funeral. Um, yeah. And I did it at my grandfather's funeral at Fort Indian Town Gap National Cemetery with Marines looking on. So that, that too is where... I also had to learn to yeah. compartmentalize. Suck it up. <laughs> yeah. Harlan, you've been quiet. You look like you got some wisdom over there. <laughs> or some questions. <laughs> I'm a complicated man. There might need to be two parts because there's there's like there's a lot of there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of you, you're a you're a complex person, you know, um, and there's a lot of uh, depth to you, and there's a lot of uh, just just great characteristics and there, you know I, I do have some questions um thanks for listening if you got any value out of this episode we'd like to invite you to rate follow and review on your favorite podcast platform if you would like to be a guest or want to have your questions answered hit us up on our website marriageistougher.com or follow us on facebook searching marriage is tougher than woodpecker lips thanks again this is paul and this is brian we will talk to you next time